The sermon text for this morning is the very familiar text, John 3.16. There we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is a very well-known verse. Children, I'm sure that many of you have it memorized. Uh, We often see it uh, posted on signs at sporting events. I have seen it posted on the roadside, uh, on t-shirts. It's a very well-known verse, and and no wonder. It's a beautiful verse that says so much in so few words. In fact, the church reformer, Martin Luther, called this verse the heart of the Bible. He said, it is the gospel in miniature, because it perfectly summarizes why and how God loves his people. We see in the context that it follows after Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to him by night to learn about the way of salvation. And Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus, it's not just that you need to be made better but you need to be made new. You must be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and this is something that God alone can accomplish in a person's soul. And there, in verse 16, we read the explanation of of why the new birth, why regeneration is, is even possible. It is possible, we see, because of the great, boundless, infinite love of God. God. This verse, John 3.16, reveals five very clear aspects of, of this love. First, we learn something about its immensity, its vastness, its magnitude. We read that God so loved the world. That word, so, reveals the manner of his love, that He loved us in this way. He gave his son. It reveals that God's love toward his people moved him to act in a certain way toward us. It moved him to give his only son. We understand something of this, don't we? When we uh, love others, we show our love. We demonstrate it. We demonstrate our love toward them often in very real, tangible ways. In fact, some of you may have heard of the five love languages, which are different ways that people show and and receive love. These are very tangible ways that we process this, this powerful emotion. Well, we read here that God showed us his love in this way. In what way? By giving his only son. The word so, then, reveals the manner of his love, but it also reveals the degree the degree to which God loved us. And we say this often, don't we, when we tell somebody else that we love them. When we talk to a person that we love, we say, I love you so much. That word so adds a depth to our love. It's our way of trying to explain to them the depths of our love for them. I don't just love you, but I love you so much. And this is what we see in the verse before us this morning. 
This is where we get some indication of the immensity, the magnitude of God's love for us. Because God's love for us was in Christ or through Christ, meaning that God's love to us is mediated to us through the Lord Jesus. The Father's love for his Son, therefore, we know is vast and infinite. It's not just that God loves us, but he loves us in Christ. He loves us through Christ. And we will uh, learn more about this later in this chapter, but notice in John chapter 3, verses 35 through 36, that this verse that speaks about how much the Father loves the Son. John chapter 3, we read, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. There in that verse, we clearly read about the Father's love for his Son. And, and we know from Christ's baptism, there the Father publicly declared his love for his Son. We read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were opened. The Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove. And, and there, the Father spoke publicly from heaven, declaring, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then the Lord Jesus, later in the Gospel of John, praying to the Father, in John chapter 17, verse 23, he says, I made known to them your name." And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So you see, friends, the Father's love for his Son is eternal. It's infinite. It's vast. It's perfect. And so is his love for us in his Son, in Christ. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And as I read, if you'd like to follow along, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, I invite you to notice how often the Apostle Paul emphasizes the love and the blessings that we receive from the Father in Christ. Blessings and love that are mediated to us through his Son. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, see, there's the motivation. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time 
to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. See, friends, there how the Apostle Paul emphasizes that God loves us in Christ. And therefore, his love for us is infinite. It's vast. It's immeasurable. And this is why we, we confess and we see how the Bible teaches very clearly that God loved us before we were lovable. He loved us while we were still sinners because he loved us in Christ. The great thing it is to think about the fact that God loved us knowing that we would be, uh, what we would become once his son accomplished our salvation and made us perfect, righteous, and holy. So God loved us while we were still his enemies, while we were still in sin. He loved us knowing that what we would become through his son's atoning work. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. And we know that God hates sin. It's absolutely contrary to his holiness. And yet, God loved us in Christ. He knew what he was going to make us through his son. You know, so often, we think about love. We think about Accepting people as they are. Now, that's one of the mantras of, of our culture. Right? Love is accepting somebody just as they are. But loved ones, that is not true love. Especially if, if you see a person that you care about who is, is doing something destructive to themselves, it's your love, isn't it, that, that moves you to action and moves you to intercede for them in some way. And it's the same with God. See, God's vast, infinite love never says, I don't want to change you. Because God's love is holy. He intends to change us by his loving means so that we will become the holy people that we were always meant to be in his son. This is how vast his love for us is. It is mediated to us through his son, and so there, therefore it is infinite it is without boundary. We learn, therefore, from this verse about the way and the degree of God's love for us, that he so loved us. We also learn, secondly, about the author of this love, who is God himself. You know, I'm going to ask you this morning, give it some thought of why there is any kind of love in this world. Why do we love one another? Why do we speak about love? If you talk to evolutionary biologists, especially those who are uh, non-believers, uh, they will argue that you know, love is, is just a chemical reaction. Um, it's, it's a way that people have developed over time. It's a way for people to, to get along just enough so that we can maintain orderly families and, and orderly societies. You know, there's, they will say no supernatural a source of love. It really is just all in our brains. But the Bible teaches us that there is a supernatural source of love, and that source is God. We read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. It is one of his 
divine attributes that is revealed in his creation. And because God's love for us is in Christ, it is eternal and unchangeable because God is eternal and, and unchangeable. And this is why it's important for us to see how this verse underlines that God is the source of this love because then, loved ones, we can rest in knowing that his love for us will never be lost. When we know this truth, loved ones, that, that God's love for us in Christ will never change, it is then that we will be able to experience the joy and the peace of living as his children, knowing that God is love, that he loves you and me in Christ, and that that love will never diminish, it will never change, it will never increase because it's already infinite and perfect. That is what creates joy and peace in our souls. Because God is the author, the source of love, his love is inexhaustible and unchanging simply because of the fact that he is God. The Apostle Paul says that God's love toward us in Jesus Christ, he says, is great. It, in, it, in this word great, he's emphasizing its vastness, its immensity again. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, the Apostle Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Because, we see here the Apostle Paul says, because God is the source of love, it is great, it is abounding. We see also in the scriptures that God's love is also preserving love. It's not just great, but it's a love that preserves his people so that we will never be lost. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, a wonderful passage that we can read over and over, especially in moments when we are anxious about this life and and we are carried away by the concerns of, of this world. It's one of those passages that we can come to over and over to remind ourselves about the fact that God will preserve us because he is our loving father. We read in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And there, just as an aside, Paul is reflecting on the trials and the difficulties that we experience in this life. You know, trials and difficulties that so often leave us questioning, does God actually love me? If he loved me, would I, would I be going through this, this moment in my life? Loved ones, listen to the emphatic way Paul assures us of God's preserving love. He says, no, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because God is the author or source of love. The love that he shows forth is infinite. It is preserving. And we also see that it is a love that surpasses knowledge. It's uh, difficult for us to wrap our minds around God's love because it, by definition, surpasses knowledge. It is vast too big for us to comprehend with our finite minds. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when when writing to the Christians in in Ephesus, he says that he prays for them to understand the love of God for them in Christ, and he phrases his prayer in a beautiful way. He says, I want you to understand God's love, even though it's too great for you to understand fully. I want you to understand it, even though it's too great for you to understand fully. He says, I want you to understand it, but I also want you to know that you'll never fully understand it because it is as infinite as God is himself and himself. He explains this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul emphasizing there that it is by dwelling upon the vastness, the depth, the wonderful love of God that we are moved and that we are calmed and that we receive joy and peace in this life. And lastly, We need to understand that God's love for us in Christ is unchangeable. Why is that? Because God does not change. John Owen, who was a Puritan pastor, wrote, Though we change every day as people, our attitudes change, our minds change, our opinions change, God's love does not change. If anything in us or on our part could stop God loving us, then he would long ago have turned away from us. It is because his love is fixed and unchangeable that the Father shows us infinite patience and forbearance. If his love was not unchangeable, John Owen writes, we would perish. So the third point in our outline, therefore, is the focus of God's love. We've learned about its vastness, We've learned about its source in in God himself. And thirdly, we see in in our outline the focus of God's love. We learn from John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world. He loved the world. Now that word, world, refers to a fallen humanity. It refers to, to people who live in opposition to God. And 
We live in opposition to God because we are fallen in sin. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they experienced the curse of sin, as do all of their descendants, you and me. And so we are all born sons and daughters of Adam. He was our federal head, our representative before God. And so we confess what the Bible teaches, that in Adam's fall, we sinned all. See, we are all born with the guilt of Adam's sin already in our account, and, and we actually reveal that sinfulness with our thoughts. We reveal it by our actions. We, we reveal it by the, the way that we speak, often very sinfully. There's not a day that passes that doesn't prove us guilty before God, not just by the actions that we commit, but even those good things that we omit from our, our, our day. And this is why, loved ones, this verse is so marvelous. Because as we noted before, God loved us in Christ while we were still sinners. The word, their world, points to the fact that God loves all kinds of people, that his love is not confined to a, a certain race or gender, but he loved the cosmos, the world, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. His love is not confined to just one race. And, and think about the context of this verse. is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus and explaining to him the way of salvation. Nicodemus, being a Pharisee, being a Jew, he would have readily confessed and confessed God's love for Israel, but not God, God's love for Gentiles. Certainly not God's love for sinners. And so Jesus' words were shocking to him. And they might even be shocking to us this morning because as we think about this world, we know how wicked it is, don't we? We know how sinful we can be and even the Apostle John, in his letters, forbids us to love the world because of its sinfulness. He writes in 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so you may be thinking after hearing these verses, is, is there a contradiction here? Why does God love the world, and yet we are told in Scripture not to love the world? Well, it's not a contradiction, friends. We are not to love the world, says John, as it presently is. Fallen in sin, we're not to love the world with the selfish love of wanting to participate in it, as one theologian explains. We're not to love the world in the sense that we must not live according to the pattern of this evil age. But see, God's love for the world is different because he loved the world with the selfless, costly love of redemption. We read in the scriptures that he loved his people, his people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He loved us enough to secure our salvation, to take action. 
Not to remain sinful like us, but to act in order to raise us out of our sinfulness and into his glorious presence. And, and how did he do that? How did he raise us up? Well, we learn that it happened through a gift. The greatest gift that he could have given. The gift of his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's, that's what we are celebrating today in a very special way, isn't it? Because we are remembering the moment in history where God sent forth his son to be born like us, but without sin, in order to save us from our sins. Uh, we read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, the verses that were also uh, the assurance of pardon. We read there about the revelation from the angel to Joseph that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means God saves. Jesus means God saves. And so when the angel spoke to Joseph and said, you shall call his name Jesus, the angel explained why it needed to be this name in particular, for he will save his people from their sins. And, and we read from this verse and from other verses that we read this morning that God planned this gift far in advance. It didn't just happen spur of the moment 2,000 years ago, but it was planned from all eternity. It was God's plan from all eternity to send his only son into the world, to be born like us for the express purpose of redeeming us. That was part of God's plan from eternity. And so the phrase in John chapter 3.16 that he gave, it indicates that God knew what would happen to his only son when he planned and then sent him into the world. Brothers, we need to understand that God gave us Jesus knowing that his son would die as an offering for sin. It wasn't a surprise to him. This was the plan all along. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we read a very clear explanation. We read there, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, propitiation for sins is something that takes away God's wrath for sin. And so God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to bear his wrath for the sins of his people. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He gave us the greatest gift, loved ones, in giving us his son. And you know, the beauty of this gift, it's not just the father's willingness to send his son, to give him to us, but it's also the son's willingness to obey the Father and fulfill what was required of our salvation. It's not as if the Father said, Son, I want you to go. And the Son said, 
No, Father, I prefer not to. I don't want to die for the sins of, 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 of the people. I don't want to bear a life of humiliation and, and of pain and suffering. But we see instead throughout the scriptures that the way the Father sent the Son and then the Son's willing obedience to the Father's plan, it was all a part of God's eternal plan. And there was joy and there was unity in the Godhead, in this plan. You know, sometimes we talk about the covenant of redemption. We refer to this, this plan. It's sometimes also referred to as the covenant of peace. It's that eternal agreement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to save a people for his glory. And in this covenant, the Father elects a people in the Son. The Son agrees to be the mediator of the elect. And then the Spirit applies the Son's saving work to the elect. This covenant had its, uh, its inception from all eternity. This was a plan to redeem the elect through the death of the incarnate Son. And so when we read verses like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And what Paul is explaining there is, is the covenant of redemption played out in history. The Father sending the Son, giving him as a gift, the Son's willing obedience to come and to take upon our flesh, to veil himself, to become bone of our bones, flesh of our flesh, in order to bear the curse for sin. This means, loved ones, that when we read that God gave his only son, we should think of the cross. Not just the manger, but we should think of the cross, that Jesus suffered and died that we might be forgiven of our sins. So great is his love for us that he gave his only son. And even the outpouring of his wrath Upon his most beloved child, he did not withhold because he loved us so much. And so, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. He became born of woman, veiled in our flesh. He came and he bore our flesh, becoming fully God because it was a human being who sinned against God. And so, it needed to be a human being who would perfectly obey the covenant. And he also needed to be fully God because only God could bear the wrath for sin and not be completely destroyed by it. Jesus came in the fullness of time to accomplish this very thing. Jeremiah Burroughs marvels and says, Behold the infinite love of God to mankind and the love of Jesus Christ that rather than God see the children of men to perish eternally, he would send his son to take our nature upon him and thus suffer such dreadful things. Herein God shows his love. It pleased the Father to break his Son and to pour out his blood. Here is the love of God and of Jesus. Oh, what a powerful, mighty, drawing, efficacious mediation this should be to us. It is medication for our souls, loved ones, to know that Christ came according to to the Father's will, bore our wrath for sin in order that we might be loved eternally by the Father. And this is where we see the purpose of it all, that 
God might receive glory in saving a people for himself. It's our fifth point in the outline. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17 expands on, on this idea. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now this faith, this belief, is a gift of God, and it's granted to us by the Holy Spirit. We know that it's a gift, that we cannot earn it. There are clear passages such as Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 8. We read that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's faith. This belief, this belief is a gift of God. And we also read in Scripture that it is sovereignly worked in us by the Holy Spirit at a moment in time. A moment in time where we hear the word of God. And then God, according to his pleasure, grants us the ability to understand it by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus explained to Nicodemus, who Nicodemus believed in works righteousness, who believed that you can merit salvation, that you can work toward it, that you can earn it. And the Lord Jesus so clearly explaining to Nicodemus that you must be born again, Nicodemus. This regeneration does not come from you. It does not come from the power of man, but it comes from God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Loved ones, God's greatest gift to us is his son and the salvation, the eternal life that we have in him. And so we join this morning with believers throughout the ages, with the church triumphant and with the heavenly host who are around the throne of God now praising him. We join with that eternal song in praising God for his great love for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word and for revealing to us the way of salvation. Truly, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Thank you, Lord, for loving us to such a degree that you sent your only begotten son to accomplish what we never could and to redeem for himself a church, a bride, an eternal love. Thank you also for the many ways in which we have come to know Christ, that what we, and when we feel confused by this world, we can see Christ as our prophet and, and know that he will grant us truth. And when we are feeling condemned by our sins, we find assurance in his work as our priest. And when we feel anxious about life and fearful about the future, we can rest in knowing that he is our king who rules and reigns over us. We ask, Lord, that you would work this truth deep into our hearts and minds so that we might love as you love us and forgive as we have been forgiven and serve as we have been served. 
We ask that you would bless us in the coming week as we gather with family and friends to celebrate the Incarnation. Lord, grant us peace and joy and many opportunities to share this good news with others. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.